Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. All right, John chapter 10. Let me do our, uh, lead us in our scripture reading this morning. John chapter 10, uh, starting there in verse 1. Let's make our way down through verse 30. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of the things, because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So this is God's word. Lord, I just pray now again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, I pray that they would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So... 
Here in John 10, this lengthy passage we just read, 30 verses there, Jesus is continuing to make these self-declarations about who he is, about his nature. Uh, Remember, up until this point, there's been a, a, a large portion of John that's included what other people have to say about Jesus, their own opinions of Jesus. That's kind of what's going on in John. Uh, There's a verse in in chapter 7 that says that there's a great division among the people because of the person of Jesus. And there's a a lot of patience in the Lord for the first few chapters uh, and first few uh, moments of his ministry where he's just kind of like allowing people, I guess, to to have their divisions. Uh, He's just kind of quiet and listening on to what people are saying. But then there comes this point out of love for humanity where Jesus wants to be as bold and honest about who he is uh, to as many people as possible. He's, he's declaring in truth who he is. There, there are these seven I am statements that he makes so that there would be no speculation about who Jesus is. And so we've been looking at each of those statements. We've been jumping through now, getting up to Easter. We're kind of jumping through this book a little faster, looking at these different I am statements. And each of these statements, they don't just uh, further reveal the identity of Jesus for the sake of like general knowledge, like, oh, I know that Jesus is the shepherd. You know, I know that he's the bread of life. But what, what, what we find from Jesus is all of these I am statements, they mean something to us personally. Who Jesus is applies to us personally. And here in John 10, we have this I am statement of Jesus being the door and the shepherd. Uh, I've entitled this message, Jesus, the true, good, and great shepherd, because that's what we see in this passage. Now, this is a little bit of a different one for us, right? I mean, so far we've looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I get that. I, I like bread. I had some this morning, actually, toasted with butter. Um, I, I, that, that's something that, that can relate to me. I, uh, I understand that. Jesus, he talks about we, we eat of him and we have life. Uh, chapter 8 was, I am the light of the world. I understand that as well. I use light. I'm using them right now. So do you, right? Um, but now in chapter 10, there's a metaphor that's a bit more foreign to our Western way of life. It's Jesus saying, I am a shepherd. I don't relate to that one as much. I have a golden retriever at home. And children, which I guess that's as close as it gets. But um, uh, not too many of us have, have uh, probably relatability here. I don't know about you, but I haven't spent too much time out in the old fold with the flock, you know, shepherding the sheep. Um, but this was, of, of course, in that time, this was an incredibly relevant illustration. Uh, but it wasn't new to John 10. Uh, the Jewish people, in fact, the scriptures in, in totality, uh, have this metaphor being used in a common way to refer to to God's relationship with his people. God being a shepherd and God's people being his sheep. You see it first in, in, you see it first actually in Genesis 49 is the first time God's described as a shepherd. But Psalm 100, it it says this so plainly, uh, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we not ourselves. The idea is we're dependent on him. Everything comes from him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Again, a common biblical metaphor between uh, describing the relationship between God and his people. 
Um, it's also used in the New Testament, Acts 20, when, when Paul is describing the relationship of, of leaders to the church. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So even today, this is not just an idea for God in Israel. Today, God in the church, he sees himself as a shepherd to us, his flock. Now, as I said, this might be sort of a foreign concept, so let's kind of fill in some of the gaps here, okay? So this metaphor, first thing that it says is it says that we simply... From God's eyes, we're like sheep. We're like sheep. Um, that's what Isaiah uh, 53, 6 says. It says, we all like sheep. Uh, we are all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. So that kind of spells it out so plainly. Like, we are all like sheep. You know, <laughs> it might be bad news to you, but sorry. But, um, but, but that, that's true. This is a biblical concept, right? Uh, the idea that we are, are, are sheep. Now, um, this might seem like like a, 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 you know, a self-esteem boosting compliment because sheep are wonderful and they're cute and they're cuddly and they're soft, and, but that's not what, what, what it's saying. Uh, the idea of this is describing more of the, the need that sheep have to be protected, the need that sheep have to be shepherded. Uh, sheep are utterly dependent on a shepherd. That's what this is saying. When you, when you Study sheep. If you spend time studying sheep, I know we all do. Uh, what you find is that sheep are utterly dependent. They are incapable of being independent. They, they have, first of all, they have no defense mechanism, right? That's why, you know, I mean, typically in a fight, what you do is you, it's been said, you either fight, flight, or form, okay? You, you fight, or you run, or you give off some kind of like, like and you scare the person away. But imagine a sheep in any of those situations, okay? A sheep is not going to fight. They don't have any weaponry. They just, they can bite, it pinches a little. It's like stupid sheep, but it's not gonna do anything, right? They don't have any claws. They have little nubs, and they're all, they're just, the best they can do is like cuddle you to death. That's all they can do, all right? And if they run away, they will run, I, you, just, you ever see the videos where the sheep, they like fall over, they get scared? Like, that, that's, they're not gonna do so well running away. They're not the fastest creatures. They can't outrun most predators. Um, and they're not gonna intimidate you with a sheepish form. In fact, when we use that phrase today, we're like, oh, you're being kind of sheepish. It has to do with being kind of like, you know, like being kind of shy. That's why today, you know, there's not like many mascots that are sheep. You know what I mean? Like the FAU sheep. No, it's the owls. That, well, it's not much better, but, but you know what I mean? Because they're, they're not these necessarily um, um, offensive creatures. So, uh, but it's more than that. Not just that they can't defend themselves, but they're, they're directionless creatures. They are in need of guidance. Without proper guidance, because they, don't, they, they lack certain wits, just like basic common sense, sheep will find themselves uh, stuck in situations and bushes. There's, there's, there's countless stories, um, even in, in recent days, of sheep that have, um, by the, the hundreds, cascaded off of cliffs to their death because of one sheep that just kind of gets lost and all the other sheep follow them. And there's a story recently where it was like 2,000 sheep fell off the cliff, 400 died, the other um, you know, 1,600 didn't because every, it eventually made like a little cushion, so they didn't, you know what I'm saying? The more died, the more it survived. Um, I'm really being hard on sheep right now, but here's the point. Uh, the point is that the nature of sheep is that they are in and of themselves 
they are hopeless. They need guidance. They need protection. And this is where God is our good shepherd. God is our shepherd. It comes into such light. So, so when God is our shepherd, understand it this way, that the, the shepherd's primary job in life was he was there to guide, to provide, to nurture and protect his sheep. Caring for his sheep, in light of this, was his primary concern. You read Psalm 23, we read it earlier, and that's what you get there. Uh, the, 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 the contentment and the well-being of the sheep is the shepherd's primary goal in life. So that's just generally what we're talking about here when we talk about sheep and a shepherd. We're talking about creatures that are in desperate need of guidance and protection and leadership. And we talk about um, God as one whose primary goal is to care for us. And that's the idea. We, we, might, we might know enough about God and, and we, we can get to the point where we've learned enough to where we think that we have it together now and we subtly become our own shepherds. But the truth of it is we need a shepherd. And the good news is that Jesus is the shepherd we need. Jesus is that shepherd that we need. And here's what John tells us about Jesus. As I said earlier, Jesus is the true, good, and great shepherd. You know, when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus, he describes himself in that way. I am the shepherd you need. Uh, Remember Matthew, where it says this, that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he's moved to compassion when he sees a crowd of people because they are weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That's the heart of God for people. If you're someone who is stiff-arming God and you're doing life your own way, I want you to understand that God is not mad at you. God loves you. And what, his, what happens in his heart is that he doesn't fill up with rage, but he fills up with compassion because he sees you as hopeless in your current situation. This is, and this is who Jesus was. When he sees people, he sees potential sheep. He sees people that he can come and, and, and protect and care for. And we see that here in John 10, except with more detail. We get more insight into what uh, this shepherd Jesus is like. And I, I said again in the title that we see him as a true, good, and great shepherd. Let's look at each of these. First, we see Jesus as a true, true shepherd. Specifically, Jesus begins by describing himself as a true shepherd who gives abundant life to his sheep. That's verses 1 through 10 of chapter 10. Jesus is the true shepherd who gives abundant life to his sheep. And Jesus is saying this, that he's a true shepherd, in the context of there being some false shepherds at that time in Israel. He's actually contrasting himself with the current spiritual leaders of Israel, the Pharisees. And it actually falls on the heels of chapter 9. John chapter 9, where Jesus performs this incredible miracle. He heals a blind man's eyes. Uh, with clay from the ground. That's awesome. And it causes this whole ruckus to where the Pharisees are coming against Jesus. Jesus is like, you're blind too, um, and, but not physically. And so there's this confrontation that's happening through these, these leaders that Jesus is now contrasting himself with. That's the context here. And so to that, Jesus says, as the true shepherd, he describes what false shepherds are like. He says in chapter 10, verse 1, I say to you, notice this, most assuredly, Most assuredly, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. So uh, Jesus is sort of uh, giving the characteristics, the marks of a true shepherd. Um, 
it's likely that, that when you um, enter your home, if the door's locked and you have a key, right, you enter through the front door, right? Uh, that, that's the access point to your house. It, it would probably look strange if your front door worked perfectly fine, but you were opening your bathroom window and crawling through it. Like if that was your normal point of entry, no, that, that doesn't make sense. In fact, if, if anybody's doing that, it's likely that they don't own the house that they are climbing through the window in. Now we've all been in that situation, okay? So. I was there a couple weeks ago. We got locked out of the house. Brittany left. And I, it's nice to have children because you just boost them through the window as long as they're able to unlock the door from the inside. That's what I did with Judah the other day. But the point is, the point is, Jesus is saying that that's one of the, the, obviously it's evidence. If someone's not entering through the main entry point, they're sneaking up. That's not a true shepherd. That's a thief. That's a robber. Uh, that, that's what he says. And he's using that as an illustration to say uh, that those false shepherds of Israel, they, the way that they gained access to their leadership wasn't the true way. That's how you know they're not true shepherds. They weren't people that have gone through, he says, the doorkeeper. He talks about a one way in, one way out where there's a doorkeeper that knows who the true shepherd is. And you could use this as, a, some have, have described this as an illustration for the Holy Spirit, for God who gives clearance to the right shepherds. But you have these other shepherds that are not sent and anointed and called by God. They don't love and care for the sheep, but they're like self-appointed, self-anointed shepherds. They're like, I, I, I want to I be a shepherd, but for selfish reasons. And they're not true shepherds. Jesus is he's just kind of calling it out. He, he says they're not true shepherds because of where they have accessed the flock, the fold, not through the front door, where, by the way, Jesus has. We know Jesus He's fulfilled every promise that could ever have been made about the Messiah. Jesus, in every way, is that true shepherd. But also, it says that um, when he calls the sheep by name, they follow him, and uh, he leads them out. They know his voice. That's the other thing. Uh, the true shepherd, has uh, his voice is familiar to the sheep. Like, have you ever tried to call your friend's dog or something, and they just looked at you like, you don't have a biscuit. I don't want anything to do with you. Like, some, even my own dog, sometimes it's hard to be like, Cooper, come on, buddy. But, but the idea here is relationship and familiarity. So Jesus is contrasting himself with these false shepherds. And he says this to say in verse 7, notice this, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them, but I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this is Jesus' way of saying that he's the true shepherd. And you're going, what are you talking about? How? Didn't Jesus just say that he is the door? So which is it? Is Jesus a door or is he a shepherd? And the answer is yes. All right. Um, there, there's another... Um, common way for, for a shepherd to, in that culture, a common way for a shepherd to protect his sheep was, it wasn't just that there was a door, but a good shepherd would actually sleep in the doorway, so much so that they would become the door. And so to get to the flock meant you had to get through the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I am the true shepherd. I am there at that entry point. And there's certainly a point here about how Jesus is the way into, the, into relationship with God. He is the access point. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That, that's certainly true. But what Jesus is describing here is who he is to us. He is the true shepherd. And in our lives, when we have Jesus, the true shepherd, he describes that what we're going to experience is abundant life. When Jesus is my true shepherd, when I'm following him, and not a false shepherd, 
And by the way, it's not, be careful that we don't look out and go, what other false shepherds am I following? Maybe we need to look inward and go, man, am I, have I become my own shepherd? There's a contrast. When, when I'm not following Jesus, I'm following a false shepherd, and that is a shepherd that, if it's not the Lord, the enemy is going to use to do three things. To steal, do you see it there in verse 10? To kill and to destroy. This is always the enemy's prerogative in leading me away from Jesus. When I'm not following my true shepherd, what Satan's always trying to do is bring false shepherds, false directions of guidance to do these three things. First, it's to steal, to steal me away from my relationship with God. To steal. The idea of, of, of obviously something being stolen is it's valuable, right? Otherwise, it's not stealing. You might as well just give it away. It's, like, oh, it's sharing, you know? But the idea of stealing is it's something, it's a valued possession. And Satan comes and he first tries to steal away me from my relationship with God in order to kill, to kill my relationship with God. It starts very small, little, little, you know, little voices that come in that aren't the Lord, little steps in this, in this way or that way, and then slowly but surely what happens is it kills my relationship with God. Ultimately, listen, to destroy, to destroy the work of God in and through my life. Satan knows how valuable a sheep is under the care of their shepherd. Satan knows what God can do through that. And so there is this, this importance, I think, to be aware of the tendency to follow other shepherds, being aware of our enemy, not making him higher than God, having a proper view of the enemy in this war, but also understanding my weaknesses and my tendency as a sheep to go astray. The contrast of that is a true shepherd, Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, our true shepherd, we are led into what he says, life and life abundantly. It's so simple, right? Something stolen, something killed, something destroyed. Abundant life. Some translations say life to the full. Life to the max. It doesn't necessarily mean quantity of life. That's eternal life. We'll get to that. It doesn't necessarily mean, um, or quantity, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the, per the perfect life where no problems are faced, but it has to do with overall spiritual life from the inside out, an overall well-being. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the idea, contentment through my true shepherd. The second thing we see about Jesus is that we see Jesus describes himself not just as a true shepherd, but he describes himself as the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. So he's the true shepherd who gives abundant life to his sheep. And then he goes on to say that he is a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. It's right there, right? That's my point. It's literally verse 11. Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. Now, just as in the previous verses, Jesus is contrasting himself as the true shepherd with false shepherds, now Jesus is going to uh, contrast himself as a good shepherd with what he'll call hirelings, uh, hired servants, people that don't actually own the flock, but are hired through money is their primary motivation. The primary concern is not those entrusted to them, but it's uh, shepherding those entrusted to them to make a dollar. Ultimately, it's, it's money, right? 
And so here's what it said. Jesus contrasts himself with those shepherds or those hirelings. He says, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, what happens with him is he sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and and, and scatters them. So uh, in a hireling's case, when there's an attack coming upon the sheep, because the hireling has no heart for the sheep, he's not there for them, he's there for himself, when danger presents itself, he's going to get out of harm's way as fast as possible. Uh, self-preservation and self-protection over giving his life, or risking, we should say, his life to protect others. Now, why does he do this? Verse 13 says, and this is, this is such a simple but profound statement. The hireling flees because he is a hireling. I love that. And that might seem like that's obvious, right? It's like the swimmer swims because he's a swimmer, you know? But this is significant. The hireling flees because who he is is not a shepherd. Who he is is not someone that cares for the sheep. But he's someone who's doing what he's doing for financial gain. The hireling flees because he is a hireling. And he doesn't care. But Jesus says, listen, that's not what it's like for me. If if there's anything that, that the gospel tells us, it's that Jesus actually cares for us. He cares for people so much so that he is the good shepherd. He knows the sheep. He's known by his own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is amazing. What a contrast. You know, most good shepherds, like a good shepherd, a decent shepherd, that's not a hireling, that cares about sheep, would risk their life for their sheep. But Jesus says, I do more than risk my life. I give my life. Jesus gives his life for those entrusted to him. And we see that this is most clearly displayed through this shepherd going to a cross, dying on that cross for the sins of the world, and taking into himself the full brunt and the full blunt force of our sin so that we could be shielded from the consequences of that and receive instead the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, and the righteousness of God. Look at our good shepherd. He stands between us and danger. He gives his life so that we who deserve to die, who have gone astray on our own, this is the, this is the message of the gospel. Jesus even says that this is what the shepherd does. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one lost sheep. He gives his life to reach them. What an amazing shepherd. What a good shepherd. And I love what Jesus says about this specifically in verse 17. Oh, sorry, verse 16. He says, There's other sheep which I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Did you know that there is a prophecy in the Bible about Christians? About you? Maybe you didn't know that. You never realized. There's a lot of prophecies about Jesus, a lot of prophecies, prophecies about things that are going to happen. But isn't this so cool? This is a prophecy you can write in your Bible, prophesied about me. If you're, if you're, if you're someone who believed in Jesus, uh, who, who's, who's come to Jesus, he's your shepherd. How cool is this? Jesus says there's going to come a time in Boca Raton, Florida, in the 21st century, where there are going to be people who aren't in my fold yet, but they're going to hear my voice. He knows you by name. He's going to call you, and you're going to see this same good shepherd giving his life for you, and you're going to come to faith in him. That is so cool, all right? Um, it's all about Jesus still, okay? Don't, don't all of a sudden go like, oh, the Bible's all about me. Be careful. Be careful, okay? All right. Um, 
but just such a cool thing to see. Therefore, my father loves me because, Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18 says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I receive from my father. This is an important theological truth here, right? Uh, Jesus wasn't forced to give up his life. We see a great glimpse of that uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is really wrestling, like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is a hard thing to do. But there was, in the midst of that anxiety that Jesus had, there was this power, this spiritual power that Jesus used to lay down his life out of love. The Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he laid down his life, that he endured the cross. This is amazing. No one's going to take my life. I love that Jesus says that. Um, be careful that we don't communicate a gospel that says, like, these people killed Jesus. Like, Jesus was like this victim. You know, God killed Jesus. Really bad theology. No, no, no. Jesus laid down his life sacrificially. Sacrificially. The same way that, that someone who loves someone else would maybe jump in front of them to take a bullet for them. I was just watching yesterday with Brittany the a documentary about, uh, we've been watching all sorts of documentaries. It's like, I, there needs to be like a documentary about all these documentaries we're watching. That's what it's about. It's like this couple watches thousands of documentaries. Um, that's weird. Anyway, um, but in this documentary, it was about Secret Service agents, and it was about the, one of the, the Secret Service agents that jumped in front of the, the gun and the bullet that was going to shoot Ronald Reagan, uh, a shooter that was going to take out uh, our uh, former president. And just that's the picture there. Laying down one's life. And I want, I want us to be attentive to certainly John 3.16 that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But 1 John 3.16, there's, there's a lot of other great 3.16s. Other great John 3.16s also, okay? By this we know love, 1 John 3.16 says, because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So this is a good shepherd. Not just risking his life for the sheep, but laying his down his very life for his sheep so that we could be saved. What, what great hope we have. Lastly, write this last one down. Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd who securely holds the lives of his sheep. He's the true shepherd who wants to bring us into abundant life, who, whose heart will break as we walk away from him. If we walk away from him, knowing that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he wants to lead us into that Psalm 23 life, paths of righteousness for his name's sake, led beside still waters, abundant life. The true shepherd gives us that. He's the good shepherd that lays down his own life for the sheep. And then lastly, we see Jesus as the great shepherd who securely holds the lives of his sheep. It says this, that in verse 35, um, sorry, wrong chapter, chapter 10. Oh, verse 19 says that there's a great division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said to Jesus, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Like, I guess when, you know, one way to, one way to respond to someone telling the, the hard truth about yourself, one way to respond is to go, you're right, I need to change. Another way is to say, I think you have a demon. Okay, like that's literally what these guys did, okay? Jesus is calling them out. They're like, oh, you, you have a demon. It's like, okay, all right, that's, that's their defense. But uh, others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a, deep in, a demon open the eyes of the blind? When you look at the works of Jesus, it, it just validates and authenticates the person of, of Jesus, right? 
So verse 22 says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him. So now you get this hostile sort of um, scene play out where uh, Jesus, you know, the truth hurts. <laughs> and if your heart, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon says it this way, he says, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts even the wax is another uh, version of it. The same sun that melts can harden. It depends on the nature of the thing that's receiving the truth. That's re for some people, when they hear the truth of the gospel, they're melted in humility. They say, Lord, this is who you are. Is, is maybe not who, who my fleshly sinful heart wants you to be, but I recognize that you are all that I need you to be. And so I'm, I'm humbled by that. Whereas you have these Pharisees, you have people today that the sunlight is not melting their heart, it's hardening their heart. It's Pharaoh. And the scriptures say to us, today's the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. That's a commandment in scripture. Don't do that. There might be a lot of hard things happening all around you, but don't let your heart reflect your circumstances. Don't be as hard as your environment. Let's be soft before the Lord. Let's keep a tender heart before the Lord. So important. And so Jesus, he, he says to those that are coming against him in hostility, notice this, they, they say to him rather, all right, they say, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they go, okay, if you're the Messiah, they're surrounding him in a hostile way, they go, then just be honest with us. Are you the Messiah? Now it's hilarious. Jesus says this, I told you, I love that, verse 25, I've already told you, like so many times. Uh, in fact, if you go through the Gospel of John, there's like over 12 times where Jesus explicitly describes himself as the Messiah. There's no question. He's like, he could even said, you know, I told you, John the Baptist told you. Remember him? Right? Like, th this is not, it's not like a hidden message. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is what Jesus is about. He's the Messiah. Um, so notice what he says, though. Here's the, the root issue. The root issue is that they don't belong to him. Their hearts are hard toward him. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they, they bear witness of me. I've told you and my works have told you. I love that. He says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. He's saying the reason why you're not able to receive me is because you are deafening your ear to my voice. You're deafening your, you'd rather hear yourself, you'd rather hear the traditions of men, you'd rather hear religion, you'd rather hear the ways of the world than hear the voice of God. And because you are turning a deaf ear to my words, you're unable to receive the message I have, and you are therefore not my sheep. You can't be mine. This is so important. It's important for all of us first to evaluate this. Like, um, okay, the Lord is a shepherd. We could all say that. But I pray that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I pray you can say that. That you've heard his word. That you've trusted in him. And you are his sheep. And here's how you know. You know that you're known by him. You're his sheep. There's that relationship. You're known by him and you know him. Now here's the good news of those who are his sheep. Jesus is a great shepherd. Notice this. Look how great the shepherd is. This great shepherd promises this, that whoever believes in him, they'll have eternal life. They'll live forever. No matter what happens in their physical life, it will never take away from what's going to happen in their eternal life. They shall never perish eternally. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, I think what's really cool is both verse 28 and 29 describe the same hand, but different hands. Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No, then he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Here's Jesus making himself God, which is really cool. In fact, they go on to want to stone him because he's making himself equal with God. But Jesus makes this incredible promise as our great shepherd. First thing that we're challenged to ask ourselves is, do we belong to Jesus? Once we can settle that, which doesn't come, by the way, by looking in. It comes, the way that you know that you're Jesus' sheep and he's your shepherd is by looking up, by trusting in him, trusting in what he has done. But once we've been able to settle that, we ask ourselves this, am I trusting in his hold on me? Am I secure in that? Am I secure in that? And I'm not just talking about eternity. That's a big part of it. But right now, are you trusting in his hold on you? Are you trusting that, that what Jesus says here is true? That those who are mine are secure in the palm of my hand. There is nothing that will cause my grip to be loosened. There's nothing that will cause you to leave that place. He says, nothing and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. It's a place of security. You know, Jesus doesn't promise here that the sheep won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus doesn't promise here that life won't really get hard. He doesn't promise here that things won't be miserable, that things won't be tough. In fact, with his disciples, he goes on to say that, that um, you're, you're like sheep to the wolves. Like there's a time coming where you're going to be thrown like to the fire. It's going to be hard. But what Jesus does promise us is, the, is, listen, it's the greatest hope we could ever dream of. That no matter what we walk through, we'll always be in his grip. He'll always have us. There's no infectious disease. There's no financial crisis. There's no anxiety that can loosen his grip on me. That is what we most desperately need. Not, listen, I want life. I'm, I'm barely, we're barely two weeks into this. And I want my life to go back to normal again. But that's not our greatest hope. Our greatest hope is that the, that the very grip of Jesus would cons on my life would give me security, that it would give me the peace that I need. And that's what he's promising. And I love this, both now and forever. Both now and forever. Those who are mine, they're in my hand now and eternally. That's called eternal security. I've heard it described as like, you know, um, if you ever had to uh, like um, give someone a grip and hold them before, like lowering them off of a roof, say, for some reason, in case you were just hanging out on a roof and you needed to help someone off. You know, they say, like, this is not a good grip. Like, just to do two hands like that or like that, usually you do this thing, right? You ever seen this? I'm a professional uh, roof dismounter. That's how I know this, okay? But the idea is, if, if, I, if we're both holding on to each other, here's the good news, that even if I let go, you could still be holding on to me. And this is true about God. This is the gospel, that even when we let go of God, even when we let go of our peace, even when we let go of our faith, here's grace, he's always holding on to me. He's never gonna let us go. And so this is who Jesus is. We must know this right now with what we're walking through. Jesus wants to be our shepherd. He is our shepherd, but are we following him? 
Is he being our, our true shepherd? Is there other voices leading us? Have we seen him as our good shepherd who's given his life for us? And are we trusting in him as our great shepherd, the one who will never let us go? Uh, I want to close with this simple verse that David says in Psalm 31, 15. He says, my times are in your hand. And that's what we need to have this morning. What, what a peace to know that no matter what we're walking through, and my life, God, it's in your hands. And so therefore, whatever I walk through, as long as you don't let me go, it might not be easy for me to get through, through but if you're with me and you have me, I'll be okay. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.